This is Media Business Matters, the podcast about why recent news in the media business matters to people who love media. I'm Amanda Lott. And I'm Alex Ittner. In this podcast extra, we're going to wrap up our local media series, which ended in our last episode with an interview with, with Joseph Lichterman. Over the last few months, we have posted five different conversations about the state of local media, all of which were cautiously optimistic in their own way. We talked to both academics, but mostly people who have been working in these media industries, whether it's in news or radio. And we've learned a lot. So let's kind of go over what we've learned, starting with that point about optimism. We posed the question, why the hell should we be optimistic to each one of our guests? And each one of our guests gave us reasons. Of all of the uh, metaphors for the situation, I think I liked... Neil Chase is the best. The notion of it's not the glass half full or half empty, that the glass was full up, that it's springing leaks from everywhere, and that they're filling them as fast as they could. Uh, because I feel like that, okay, that, that sounds about like what's happening. There are changing business models, and the news organizations are trying to find people where they are. And it's hard to find people that you know exist, and you just don't know how to get to them. You think about the different industries that have have somewhat shifted their business models. Uh, If we look to the recorded music industry, now so much of their revenue is coming in from streaming services Mm -hmm. as opposed to selling physical music. Even that is not as potentially radical a shift as some of the... I I think we're still just in experimental stage, right, across the board with local? It's these um, newspapers shutting down, trying to find their audiences, and trying to find new sources of revenue, like paywalls going up, or um, especially Evan Smith over at the Texas Tribune talking about how live events are very important to their business model. They just had their Tribune Fest in Austin, where they had a whole bunch of important people come down and talk. Right. So the idea that step one is... Stop trying to fix this and, you know, sort of paper over. We'll continue to do things the way that, that we have. And I, and I think the, the reality there is not only does it work, but advertising was never a great mechanism for supporting journalism. It, it really limited what journalism could be. And so even though we have this period um, of American and perhaps world history that that was a key organization of, of a media industry, there's nothing natural about that. I'll push back on that a little bit, because the way that news organizations work, it's the separation between church and state. That's what you call the separation between sure. the sales division and the business division and the editorial division. So in in a perfect world, advertising wasn't pushing the editorial. Now, that didn't always happen in the way that it's supposed to work. They don't talk. Right. But also... In so many of those papers, and that's, again, where even trying to have a conversation about local that's consistent is is somewhat pointless, even in most of those newsrooms where there may have been the separation between church and state, you had classifieds that was basically subsidizing the whole show. Yeah. Um, and so you take those away, and that advertising never really was enough. And it's interesting, you know, as we start jumping across these industries and, like, the concern that you hear about from the film industry, when Redbox emerged and when Netflix uh, early on, you know, the film industry was concerned that people would value a film less because they were paying less for it. it it's interesting that that conversation in journalism, you know, maybe people will value the institution of journalism more when they actually feel they are paying for it. Um, you know, so it, it's almost like 
you have an exactly opposite uh, retraining of the customer and, and, and the way that the good is thought about in society. And it probably helps journalists to a point that they are getting so much pushback from the White House and from other entities. Like, there is now kind of this groundswell of, we must defend these institutions from people who want to do them harm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, the international comparison of this 10 years from now, let's say, <laughs> will be a really interesting project to, to have a better sense of how much the political tenor of the time you know, is inflecting things a certain way. So going back, we, we, we've moved past, like, stage one, which is, like, still clinging to the old way. Yes. And I don't know that we're yet to the stage where the new models are clear. It's sort of this real uh, murky free-for-all. Like I said earlier, everyone is just experimenting. Mm-hmm. And we've talked to everyone is trying things, trying to see, you know, it, it's the old adage of throwing things to the wall and seeing what sticks. And, and, and that's really a necessary phase. And, and also, it's crucial because there's, I think, this bias, uh, whether in, in any industry, to assume that like if there was more or less one way that things worked before, that they're gonna, there's going to be just one way that things are going to work going forward. And I think between the different experiments in funding, um, experiments in how you do journalism, the sense is that no. You know, the Texas Tribune works very well for a particular context. You can't just pick that up and put that everywhere. Okay, we solved local journalism. I mean, not-profit is a very difficult thing to get off the ground. Launching a not-for-profit is not easy. But it's clear with the Texas Tribune that there are people who are willing to support independent journalism that holds public institutions accountable. It also probably helps the Texas Tribune that there's a big Senate race happening down there. Well, but they were doing well before then. They were doing well before then. Yeah, I think not only are journalists who typically just sort of thought about putting together news having to think about how their news is valued by a reader and and those sorts of questions, which I, I think it was uh, our conversation with Evan where that came up, or or I think with Neil as well, that that changes the nature of of doing journalism in a good way, but also the way in which having this variation in news products encourages a consumer base to think about news in more complicated ways. And, and, and certainly this is like part of daily life now. Yeah. And news might be the notifications you get, the, you know, that breaking news, something happened. Mm-hmm. But also having a, a society starting to have a bigger conversation about what they value in news, uh, whether it is, as, as you defined, and, and that was uh, Evan's definition of, of an institution that holds institutions of power uh, yeah. accountable. Um, I, I just don't think that prior to this, you know, many people thought, I get my local paper because I appreciate that it's, it's serving that function. Mm-hmm. But in communities where that slips away, um, all of a sudden you, you start to get, oh, yeah, um, it is more complicated than just this idea of journalists having a certain leaning or whether the, it's, dare I say, fake news and real news and all of that, right? It's coming from a purpose. I want to bring in our conversation with Joseph Lichterman here because he talked about experiments. I mean, that that's what he covers. That's his bread and butter right now. And talking about, like, email newsletters, a new way of reaching that audience that might not, that might have gone away. And, I mean, the Washington Post is doing some experiments with that, too. Like, I'm thinking of Dave Weigel's The Trailer. It's a newsletter, comes out three days a week, and it gives you layouts of what's going on in the campaign. 
it's not like something like emails are a new idea, right? Right. It's also recognizing that you have people who are changing their news consumption habits. And just because those things were tried earlier, maybe you didn't have an audience that was ready for it yet. Um, and you also, though, have audiences that are constantly adding in new media behaviors. Well, I, I didn't have time for newsletters, but that was before podcasts, but that was before I had social media, <laughs> and you know? podcasts are another way <laughs> to reach listeners. I mean, I'm thinking of the New York Times, The Daily. I mean, that's a national institution, and that's a national entity, but you're going to be seeing things like that duplicated all around the country, given how successful it was for The Times. And in some cases, it will work, and in some cases, it, it, it might not. But right. I think one of the things that is hopeful, right, is that one of the affordances of digital technology is that ability to be multiple things and serve audiences that want some variation, right? Like, if I get the email digest every day, it's too much. Mm -hmm. I want just the the version at the end of the week. And it's not onerous on a newsroom to offer both things. Just the idea that these newsrooms can provide multiple different value propositions, uh, whether or not it's it's with the podcast or without. While at the end of the day, as, as we saw in, in the conversations, it comes back to the it's a business model problem. Mm-hmm. There's so much possibility of changes, evolution, augmentation in the form through which news is delivered that is uh, juxtaposed right alongside all of those, you know, shifts in, in business models. And we haven't even brought in Zoe Clark yet mm-hmm. and our conversation with her. I mean, one of the entities that can really help and really help salvage these local news deserts is the public radio station. Because public radio stations are everywhere. Public radio stations, like Michigan Radio, serve a purpose. And that purpose is to be that not-for-profit entity that can help. And, I mean, that Michigan Radio is also experimenting with a podcast. They're believed has just launched and is releasing new episodes mm-hmm. as, as you're hearing this. Yeah. And, I mean, that's just Michigan Radio talking about one of the biggest stories to happen in Michigan recently with the Larry Nasser trial. I'm not sure what the, the site on this was, but I was just talking to a colleague this week who reminded me that PBS is still the most trusted media brand in the United States. Uh, arguably, that is a uh, under-leveraged asset for that entire organization. And, and there, instead of not only creating a new institution, but a, you know, a new way of interacting with journalism, like we might say the Texas Tribune has done, um, you know, there is incredible opportunity with this institution that's already built in the form of PBS. And, and I think we did hear from Zoe exactly that recognition of the possibility of experiment, and whether that was into podcasts, whether it was her... We need to, like, print this out or something and be able to hand it to people, right? <laughs> With the Flint water crisis. Exactly. Yeah. And there, there may be, again, depending on leadership and ability to think in and out of the box, the opportunity for entities like NPR and PBS to move outside of their own silos in the same that we're seeing, in the same way we see the New York Times thinking of itself not only as a print outlet, but now an audio and to sometimes a video outlet. All of those are are ways to make rethink local and provide new services. And I think that's as good a place as any to wrap our wrap our wrap of our local media series. 
And that's it for this edition of Media Business Matters. If you want to learn more about Media Business Matters, you can go to amandalots.com and click on the podcast link at the top of the page. If you want new episodes delivered into your feed as soon as they're available, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and on Google Podcasts. And if you do subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us as it'll help new listeners find the show. Amanda, where can we find you on Twitter? At Dr. TV Lots. That's D-R-T-V-L-O-T-Z. And you can find me at Alex Sintner. That's Alex, I-N-T-N-E-R. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back soon.